Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus wants you to find your treasure in the gospel so he can have your heart. Generosity is the hallmark of the faithful Christian because our God is a generous God. And the good news of the gospel is that this generous God acted generously towards us by freely giving his only son to pay our debt of sin. Thus removing the consequences of our sin and offering us new life through his resurrection. Freely giving even without us earning. Despite us not earning or even deserving even with us in active rebellion against him. Then he freely gives us his Holy Spirit to begin the process of remaking us in his image, his generous image. And the church is called to be witnesses of this generosity and to freely give this good news away to make disciples who are examples of this generosity. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples and he gives them this charge. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, now give without pay. God is generous. The gospel is generous. The church is generous. Mission is generous. Christians are generous with our lives, our time, our money, ourselves, because our God has been generous to us with his. If you're a Christian, this is your story. If you're not yet a Christian... This is the story, the radical story that you're invited into. So the talks about money that we've had over the course of the last few weeks have not really been about money at all. They're about our hearts and whether we understand the beauty and depth of the gospel. Now in saying that, before you say, yes, he just provided me a way out on all this money stuff, right? He just said it's not about money, so I'll just work on my heart and keep my money. You've missed the point completely. As we are recreated in the image of our creator, our heart should, be more, should more and more reflect his generosity in all things. So until we are wrestling with how much more can we give away, then how low can we make the minimum standard, we do not understand the fullness of the gospel. And look, money is just a starting place because it's easy to quantify and to measure and to reorder. So Jesus talks a lot about it in order to pry our fingers of our hearts loose from grasping a false treasure that we may be able to receive the gift of his grace in all parts of our lives and offer his free grace to others as we have received it. As Jason prayed from Deuteronomy a couple weeks ago, we are asking for God to unclench our hands. And unclench our hearts. But look, when it comes to generosity, the struggle with money is elementary school. It's JV. It's entry level. Where generosity starts to get serious is in our relationships. And specifically, how we generously forgive others who have not earned it, don't deserve it, and have wronged us deeply. In our reading from Matthew 18 today, Jesus tells a parable dealing with money that bridges this gap between the condition of our hearts and our understanding of the gospel and our generosity towards others. So let's let's look closely here in Matthew 18. It all begins when Peter asks in verse 21, Peter asks Jesus this question. 
Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So how often do I need to forgive? And he says this, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, remember that in the scripture, numbers are often used symbolically. And so seven is the number of completeness, like the days of creation. And so what Peter said was actually a very radical statement. When he said, uh, how often should I forgive my brother? As many as seven times? He wasn't just saying like, I've got this many. Oh, you're down to, you know, you're down to six. Like you're down to... Down to five, you, you stop sinning against me. You're about to run out. Uh, he, he was saying, Jesus, should I always forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Jesus said, no. You have to always, always, always forgive your brother. Seventy-seven times. He's taking the completeness that Peter says and says it's even more complete and full and lavish and generous than you could have imagined of what I'm calling you to in forgiveness. It's a difficult statement. And so Jesus tells this parable to illustrate his point. In verse 23, he says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So the kingdom of heaven is, uh, is, is whenever you see that phrase, you can see uh, this is how God works. This is how life together works. This is how the world works under his rule. We pray for this all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is telling us a story here to teach us how God works and how we should work and act and believe as well. And the story on the surface is really pretty easy to understand. There's a king and he has servants and, uh, and this was common and the servants had accumulated debt. So verse 24, when he began to settle the debts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, that's not a denomination talent that we use very often. So let me explain this debt. A talent was 20 years wages. And he owed him 10,000 talents. Okay? So in today's money, the current national mean salary, had to look that up, is, uh, is about $50,000. I'm using round numbers here just to make the point. It's about $50,000. And so in that case, our math here, that would mean that this is a million dollars is a talent. And he owes him $10,000 million, which is $10 billion with a B. Now, this story is fictional. Right? Jesus is, is telling an illustrative story. And the amount is huge to teach a lesson. Don't ca get caught up in the details of, well, how in the world did he rack up $10 billion worth of debt? <laughs> that, that, that's, not the, that's not the point. This is a huge debt. The point is he's unable to repay this debt no matter what he does. Some people think that this was actually more money that was in circulation in the world at the time. If he had every bit of money everywhere, he could still not have paid his debt. That's the point that, we're, that Jesus is trying to show us here. And since, verse 25, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. No, he wouldn't. I mean, like, can we just be honest here that no, he wouldn't. He can't possibly 
fulfill that promise. Have patience with me, and I will get every dollar in the world for you. He's not actually going to be able to do this. He's begging for mercy. And in verse 27, it says, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It's extremely important to recognize what happened here. There's no way the servant was going to be able to pay this debt no matter how patient the king was. And the king moved out of pity, it says. In other places, this word is is translated compassion. He had compassion on him, just as Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And out of his compassion, out of his pity, the king forgave the debt. Not delayed, not reduced, not refinanced at a better rate. He forgave the billions of dollars of debt. And so in one second, by the decision of forgiveness by the king, this servant went from him and his family and his children being sold into God knows what kind of situation that they could be put into, maybe even separated from one another, and still owing money that he could never pay back. In one decision by the king, he went from that situation to being safe with his family And completely debt-free. Rejoice much? I mean, can you imagine this life changing the tears? How his fortunes have changed completely from lost and hopeless to prospering and safe. In the split decision of the forgiveness of the king. I mean, this, this would have been a moment he would never have forgotten. And we cannot overlook the depth of the forgiveness that has happened here. Because this is the point of Jesus' story. Now, we see what this servant did in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. We'll get back to that in just a second. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Should sound familiar, because that's what the other servant had just said to the king. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, you should immediately feel some disdain here towards the unforgiving servant. Right? Like, what did this guy just do? He was just forgiven billions, and then he walks out, and he finds somebody who owes him like a small poker debt, and starts choking him, and has him thrown in prison when that guy can't pay. But the hypocrisy is even greater than that, because this guy owed the first servant a uh, hundred denarii, and a denarii is a day's wage. So according to our previous math, this is less than $20,000. So the second servant says the exact same thing. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But instead of forgiving this debt, which is a pittance compared to what he was just forgiven, he attacks the other servant and has him put in prison. And so you don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out Jesus' point here. In the first scenario, there's a huge difference in position and importance. It's king versus servant. But the king is generous and full of grace. And so it is in our relationship with God. We're not equals. He doesn't owe us anything. And our debt of sin is too huge to repay. 
all the goodwill, all the good works, all of your effort, all of your good thoughts, all of your trying to eat healthy will not earn you into a place of being able to pay off your debt of sin to the Lord. You are the first servant. Sin is a big deal. We are a glory-stealing, creation-destroying, murderous people. And if you go, no, no, no. I've never murdered anybody. Well, you need to read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you have anger in your, uh, in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. Ever done that? Jesus' grace is bigger than even the depth of our sin. This is what is shown in the first scenario with the first servant. Now, the second servant, uh, the second scenario is servant to servant, right? This is, they're on equal ground, um, and the debt is less, but the servant is brutal and merciless. And this is dealing with how we treat others. The first scenario, king to servant, is about how God treats us. And the second is about how we treat one another. If we are a people of the gospel, we are the first servant forgiven a crushing debt that is deadly and unreconcilable, all by the compassion and mercy of our king. Why is it that we often struggle to have compassion and mercy with others? Why do we want mercy for ourselves and justice for others? The debt of the second servant was not insignificant. Look, 20 grand. Like, there's not, there's not many of us who can just go, $20,000, ah, forget that. That's nothing to me. That's, that's a significant amount for us. That's meaningful. And so in this, God is not discounting your pain. He's not discounting that people have sinned against you, have hurt you, have wounded you deeply. And he's not saying that that is insignificant or worthless. But he is first starting to put that into perspective to say that all the wrongs that have been done to us do not compare to the wrongs that we have done to the Lord. And so he's not saying, yeah, yours don't matter. This isn't like going to your boss and saying... I'm just overworked and I'm tired and your boss going, oh, you think you're overworked. That, that's not what this is about. This is not going, oh, you think you've been sinned against. Well, let me tell you what I've done. He is saying that the hurts that have been caused to us, they are significant. They are matter. They do matter. They are worth something. But, he, but he's also giving us some perspective in how his grace is able to cover even the depth of the sin of us against him. And so how much more can his grace cover the sins that others have committed to us. This is, not about, this is not about downplaying the significance of the hurt that has been caused to you. This is about lifting up and celebrating and being in awe of the depth of the grace of Jesus. And you say, no, Dan, you don't understand. I hear you saying lavish forgiveness 70 times, seven times, completely, fully. But you don't understand what he's done, what she's done. I cannot forgive him. I cannot forgive her. And I tell you this morning, yes, you can. But not alone. Not on your own. You cannot, you cannot bootstrap yourself into forgiveness. You cannot, you cannot therapy yourself into forgiveness. You cannot, you cannot discipline yourself into forgiveness. You must first recognize the depth of your sinfulness that has been forgiven completely by the Lord. 
You must first be that first servant who comes before the king and says, I have a debt that could never be paid, and to be shown the mercy of Jesus. You must first know the mercy of Jesus in your own heart. You must first know the depth of grace in your own heart, and it must cut you to the heart. If you have heard the phrase, Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins so many times that it no longer twists your gut, that it no longer brings a tear to your eye, that it no longer puts you in a place of awe, you must repent. And you must reconsider. And as the hymn says, ponder anew what the Almighty can do. We have to keep the awe of the gospel in front of us and it never can become so familiar that we become complacent. The depth of the grace of Jesus, the depth of the grace of God who offered His only Son, who suffered in our stead, who died in our place, who was put in our tomb and won victory for us. And this great and glorious news is the only way that there is a source for us to have forgiveness, lavish forgiveness, to offer that to others, is to recognize that it's first been given to us. Let me, let me quickly define what I mean by forgiveness. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. It's an important distinction. This doesn't mean we have to get along with everybody. It doesn't mean that we have to like being around everybody. It doesn't mean that we have to forgive people um, so completely and fully that our relationship then is completely healed. There still needs to be reconciliation after forgiveness. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes that is not. But forgiveness is always possible. Jesus brings both in his gospel. He brings forgiveness to us and reconciliation to God the Father. And the scripture is is full of this language of reconciliation with us and the God that we have been wronged, that we have wronged, so that we are reunited with him. And sometimes on this earth, forgiveness happens. And reconciliation is a time for the eschaton. It comes later. It comes only when Jesus makes all things new. Sometimes that is the case in the ramifications of our sin. But forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is not feeling. It is a decision to release someone from their debt to you. Forgiveness is a decision to release someone from their debt. They may not ask for it. They may not acknowledge their debt. They may still be smug and continue to sin against you. But forgiveness, forgiveness is setting them free from what they owe you. This is is the situation described in this story, in this parable, that just as we have been forgiven like the first servant, that we can offer that forgiveness to the servants who owe us. And look, this isn't easy. The forgiveness that you've been offered through Jesus was not easy. The scripture was clear that your forgiveness was bought with a price. And so oftentimes when we have to give forgiveness to others, it's bought with a price. It's bought with a price of our own suffering. 
of suffering with someone as, as the king had compassion on the servant. The word compassion means to suffer with. Compassion. Passion is the, is, means to suffer. Compassion is to suffer with. And so oftentimes when we forgive, it's suffering with someone else in their own sin. It's suffering to let go of our pride. It's suffering to let go of our hurt and to let go of our pain. It is not easy. And it can only be done with the one who knows the pain even more fully than we know it. That Jesus, who's calling us to forgive, is only calling us to do something that he knows fully and completely. As he has suffered to forgive us. It's a strength, it's an otherworldly strength that we must have to offer forgiveness. And that that strength is offered to you by the free gift that is given to you in the Holy Spirit. When you say, I can't forgive them, yes, you can. You can release them from their debt to you. Look, this isn't trying to shame you. Until we talked about money, we talked about forgiving. This isn't trying to shame you of saying, look, compare your sins to God and and then compare their sins to you. And so you should be ashamed of yourself for not forgiving people. Look, Jesus is compassionate and he knows that that we struggle with this. And he knows that it's hard, but he wants you to see the depth and the fullness of his grace. When you say, I can't forgive him, and then you try and you go, no, it's going to take more grace than that. And you try and you go, I'm still struggling with this. you go a little farther, then you start to press into what it takes to forgive someone else. What you need to see is that as you press deeper into the grace that you would need to have for someone else, that it never runs out. You start to understand the depth of the grace that Jesus has had for you. And it results in the worship of him and the adoration of him and the praise of him and the service of him. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. There's one hand that makes us, in this moment, makes us go, yeah, get him, right? Like, like he, you just gave him, you just forgave him all that, and then he went out and, what a jerk. Like, I mean, get him. Put him in jail. But then Jesus drops the hammer on us in verse 35 when he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Like when we read that, we, we start to go, can we go back to talking about money? Because that was easier. <laughs> that, was, that was better than this. This is, this is harder than what we were just talking about before. I like that better. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this final verse seems hard at first because as if you have a background in the church, you know that the gospel is freely given and we don't earn it. And this feels like God saying there's a, there's a, a, a I almost said quid pro quo, but that would have brought up a whole bunch of other thoughts that I don't need to bring up. There's, there's not a, a transaction here, right, of, um, that, that, that God is saying you have to do this to earn my forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's not saying you have to earn his forgiveness by you bringing forgiveness. No, the point here is that if we truly recognize our own need for grace and we truly repent and we truly rejoice in the victory of the resurrection, 
what kind of cheap grace would that be if God were simply okay with us singing songs about our own forgiveness in here and then having, and that having no effect on how we treat others out there? Would you be okay with a God who wanted his people like that? Neither Jesus nor I am saying you can't struggle with forgiveness, abuse, murder, destruction are profoundly difficult. But even your struggle in forgiveness should make you more grateful for the grace that God has bestowed upon you and push you deeper into the generosity and goodness of our God. We cannot take this grace for granted or overlook what it cost. So here's, here's the application of this. One, give your money to the church. Right? 10% and offerings and care for the poor and, and stop with the excuses and just do it. Like there's, we can say it eloquently, but look, just stop because that is, that is minorly compared to what Jesus is coming next. Let's start what's actually difficult. Who do you need to offer generous forgiveness to? Who do you need to forgive? Being a generous people is not easy. And what I want us to leave here with today is not a sense of shame and, and, uh, and, uh, and burden, but a sense of invitation. Because the gospel is invitation to, to know his forgiveness so that the burden of your own sin is no longer on your shoulders, but then also an invitation into a generous life so that you don't have to carry the burden, the sin of others either. You don't, have to, you don't have to carry the weight of what people owe you and the, the, the fact that you need justice for them and, what, and how they have hurt you and how they have wounded you. When you forgive them and let them go, they ha- no longer have that power. And the gospel, the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of generosity is inviting you into the joy of knowing forgiveness and the joy of offering forgiveness. To set you free from both the chains that bind you upward and the chains that bind you outward. The gospel, the empty tomb that has set the prisoners free from death is offered to you. And there's such joy that comes with that. It's a different world when we can imagine actually being able to forgive one another. Instead of clenched and defensive and anxious Christ is offering freedom and confidence and meaning. Fall into the arms of grace. Know his forgiveness that is complete and full and free. Let it wash over you. Let it remove your sin and your shame. Let it remove your darkness. Let it remove the sins that you don't think could ever be forgiven. Jesus is outstretched arms on the cross, say they're forgiven. And then think of all those who you need to forgive to let go of their debt that they owe you, to forgive them of that debt. And the only way you can do that is through the help of Jesus and through partners within the church. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. We're in this together, learning this together, living this together through the power of the Holy Spirit in community with one another. We're called to be a generous community. And this might mean you need help from a pastor. It might mean that you need help from a Christian counselor or a discipler or a friend. Or, but what we're calling you to is to know, go through the process of knowing the gospel more deeply because what Jesus wants is your heart. He wants your heart to be in a place of knowing his love 
His grace, His forgiveness. And we can't know it fully if we don't recognize, one, that He forgives all of our sins, and two, if we're still holding the debt of sins against other people. Who is the Lord calling you to forgive as you have been forgiven? Pray with me. today, Lord, a difficult passage of Scripture. Lord, it's, it's beyond our comprehension because it's oftentimes beyond our example. We haven't seen this much in our lives. And so, Lord, let us look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us look to you as the, as the example of what forgiveness can be. And Lord, as we talk about those who need to be forgiven, there might be images in our head. There might be faces that have appeared to us. There may be situations that even right now our stomachs are clenched and our our fists are balled up. And there may even be tears in our eyes. Lord, give us your grace. Help us to forgive those faces. Those names those sins. Let us entrust justice to you. And let us know the freedom of forgiveness. If there are those in this room, Lord, who don't know your forgiveness yet, who, don't, who are still sitting in their own sin, help them let it go. Help them repent and to believe and to receive the gift of your spirit. To be completely washed clean in your grace. And so, Lord, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the cleansing work of your Holy Word, that we can be a generous people in a generous church as we serve a generous God. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.